Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Starship Sofa, Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 120. I'm your host, Nicola seaton Clark, and this week we bring you Broken Clouds by Rachel Swirsky, written for the anthology When the Villain Comes Home, the sequel to When the Hero Comes Home. Rachel holds an MFA in fiction from the Iowa Writers' Workshop, and she graduated from Clarion West in 2005. Her short fiction has been nominated for the Hugo, Locus, World Fantasy and Sturgeon Awards. She's won the Nebula Award twice, in 2010 for the novella The Lady Who Plucked Red Flowers Beneath the Queen's Window, and in 2014 for the short story If You Were a Dinosaur, My Love. You can find her online at rachelswersky.com and at Patreon via the link in our show notes. The story is read for us by Ashley Storey, a Scottish stand-up comedian, podcaster and radio presenter who is currently performing at the Fringe Festival and will be there until August 28th at the Free Sisters. You can follow her on Twitter. Again, you'll find that in the show notes. And now, Broken Clouds by Rachel Swirsky. Alex walked home through the light rain that was almost soundless as it silvered the sidewalk. The whole world seemed colorless, overcast sky, gray drizzle, endless cement. The empty, grasping ache in her abdomen gnawed at her, not just because of the pain, but because of the frisson of loss that accompanied it. She was like a glass with the water poured out, a vacant vessel. Would it ever stop? Did anyone ever recover from having the magic torn out of their flesh? Her house came into view as she turned the corner, its dilapidated single-story dwarfed by the apartment buildings on either side. It always seemed to be cowering, as if the neighboring giants might decide at any moment to crush it into oblivion. Its faded wood siding was the same grayed-out blue as the rainy sky. Battered shutters held tight against the wind and water. Rain had swollen the doorframe. Alex grunted as she put her weight into tugging it open. Hinges screeched, slanting rain pooled inside the threshold. Alex squished into the entranceway and pulled the door closed behind her. She abandoned her boots and threw her messenger bag beside them. Its sodden contents were worthless now. Her socks left a trail of wet footprints as she made her way into the kitchen. Alex's older sister Jenny sat at the table, cutting coupons out of the newspaper, the way no one did anymore except for Jenny. She wore a loose T-shirt and jeans, cozy and cheerful despite the weather. Jenny was that kind of person. She woke up happy at dawn and hummed through her daily routine. Jenny smiled as she looked up. Green irises swirled with hints of yellow, summer grass dappled with dandelions. The empty place inside Alex ached. Jenny held up a coupon. Great deal on gardening supplies. Two bags of soil for the price of one. 
She chuckled as she returned the coupon to the pile. Alex and Jenny did not have a garden. A lot of coupons were like that. They offered deals and stuff you didn't need, hoping you'd suddenly be inspired to buy a blender, when really you just wanted the 20% off the microwave dinners they were offering two rows down. Jenny clipped them all, though, just in case. Alex tried to chuckle back, but the sound came out false. Jenny slid her a skeptical look. Alex tried to keep her face blank so that even Jenny, who knew her better than anyone, wouldn't know that something was wrong. Jenny stood. Want some tea? Sure. Jenny pulled their kettle out of the cabinet above the sink. The sound of water pouring into battered metal twinned with the sound of rain on the shutters. It was the sound of something that had been high up falling to the ground. It was the sound of water breaking. Jenny didn't remember dying. Alex had checked as thoroughly as she could without asking Jenny outright. Her sister was completely unaware anything had happened. She didn't even remember not remembering something. It was probably for the best. It meant Jenny didn't ask questions Alex didn't want to answer. The day Jenny died had been rainy, too. To celebrate Alex's high school graduation, the sisters had decided to bike out to the suburbs and visit the park where they played as kids, back before the car crash that killed their parents and left 18-year-old Jenny with custody of her 10-year-old sister. Visiting the park was supposed to resolve things, to tie happy memories of the past to the success of the present, wrapping up Alex's childhood like a bow. Instead, it just hammered home how much everything had changed in eight years. How the old streets looked weary, the houses dingy behind chipped paint, the lawns parched and brown. They remembered the landmarks, the bright blue roof on the two-story between Ford and Applegate, the elementary school, the enormous oak that cast its shadow over the three front lawns. Somehow, though, they couldn't find the park itself. They rode back and forth, tried every turn they could think of, Asked people passing by. The park was always really close now, just a block away. If you turn back, keep going, go left, head right. Wet and tired, Jenny and Alex decided to bus back home and set to walking their bikes to the nearest stop. There was one major street to cross in order to get there, a busy 45-mile-per-hour avenue that led to strip malls in either direction. They stopped at the corner, waited for the little blinking man, and started to cross the asphalt. The crosswalk was empty until it wasn't. Some hardcore drunk, already blasted by 3 p.m., came speeding down at 65. He tried to brake. His tires spun. Rubber shrieked. Metal struck. Jenny shoved Alex to the ground. Alex barely had a chance to look up before she saw her sister falling under a bright metal wall. The driver was a dark silhouette behind the windshield. Hands shaking on the wheel. Tires chewed the bike into scrap, then bit into Jenny. Her body crunched wetly. The smell of blood bloomed, mixing with the rain. Taillight Street passed as the coward fled, leaving them there. Alex bruised and dizzy as she pulled herself towards her sister's body. Afterward, there had been an ambulance and a declaration of time of death, and doctors who wanted to know how Alex was related to the victim. She's my sister, Alex said. She's been taking care of me since I was ten. They asked more questions, but she didn't answer. Jenny was dead and she was alone. Jenny stood by the stove, watching the kettle heat. Winter's coming. We need better weather stripping. Rain tapped on the shutters. Cool wind blew through the poorly insulated walls. Maybe I can find a coupon for it, Jenny continued. She smiled, inviting her sister to laugh. Alex couldn't even manage her hollow chuckle. "'What's wrong?' Jenny asked. Alex couldn't look her sister in the eye while she lied. She counted cracks in the linoleum. "'The days are getting shorter. I miss summer. That's all.' "'Stroke of luck! I've got twenty percent off on a full-spectrum lamp,' Jenny said. "'No, seriously. I found it today.' 
Alex still couldn't laugh. But this time the screaming kettle distracted her sister. After Jenny's death, Alex walked around in a daze. She had nothing to do, felt no connection with her former classmates. There was a little money left, enough to see her through six months or so. She could have gotten a job before then, but she couldn't bear the idea of working for minimum wage while she grieved, weeping silently at the cash register between customer orders. She took long walks, rode her bicycle, read books, spent hours staring at nothing. She visited the library once a week to refresh her pile of mysteries. One Tuesday, somewhere between Grafton and Hillerman, she got lost in the stacks. She'd been browsing a perfectly ordinary shelf, filled with rumpled paperbacks. But suddenly, everything was different. Tall, narrow, mahogany bookcases formed an endless, twisting maze. Their shelves populated by dust and spiders, and books far too old to belong in a local library branch. She scanned for a way out but saw nothing except for corridors of books. She jumped as a crooked man stepped around a corner. He was lean and dark like an evening shadow. He wore an old-fashioned suit with tails, elegantly cut but shabby. Tattered lapels sported desiccated flowers that had withered where they were pinned. Long pointed fingers poked out of holes in his pockets. "'What do you want?' Alex stammered. The man grinned jaggedly. "'It's good to see you!' Beckoning with a gnarled finger, he turned and darted through the stacks. Alex hesitated before following, but then she realized. With Jenny gone, what did she care if he led her someplace dangerous?' She raced to keep up with his grasshopper long legs. She whipped around corners only to see ragged coattails disappearing. At last she turned to find him standing beside an iron gate that led into a section of the library that looked even older than the mahogany shelves. Light from mounted torches picked out patterns in the gate's scrollwork. They read, Dark Magic. The crooked man tapped the gate with his forefinger. It swung open. You can go in, he said, if you want. She started forward. He moved to block her path. Lots of people have a talent for dark magic, he said. Only a few reach the point where they truly don't care whether they live or die. This is a place for the hopeless. I want to go in, Alex said. With a cavernous grin, the crooked man stepped aside. When she looked over her shoulder, he disappeared. Inside the mysterious archive, books populated the shelves sparsely, as if quarantined from each other. Dried blood streaked old vellum covers. Everything smelled of bones and mold. All around, the shadows watched. Strange figures took shape in corners, wagging their tongues and making obscene gestures, baring their genitals and grinning when Alex shied away. Fingers pointed in a dozen conflicting directions. Alex followed them at random. Despite dead ends and false starts, the shadows seemed to be herding her towards something. She knew immediately when she saw it, a carol upon which a single book lay open a black silk ribbon marking the page to which it was turned. The heading was written in old-fashioned, slanting script. It made her heart beat faster. Resurrection. Alex's mouth dried. She ran her finger down the page, memorizing the directions for enchanting a dagger that would steal its victims' souls. The magic spelled out an easy equation. Twelve stolen lives for one resurrection. She could bring Jenny back. The shadows writhed and laughed. Jenny brought their mugs of tea into the living room. 
she set Alex's on the coffee table and pulled the chain that turned on the overhead lamp. Under the direct light, Jenny's skin shimmered with the rainbow colors of eleven souls Alex had collected to save her. Eleven out of twelve. The magic book had been clear on the number. One for body. One for breath. Two for memory. Three to pay death. Four to mend the broken soul. And a last, like wax, to seal the whole. Without the last soul, the spell would have nothing to hold it together. It would disintegrate into dust on the wind, and Jenny would die again. Jenny, unknowing, settled in their broken-down but still plush armchair, and sipped her tea. This stuff may be more expensive, but it's totally worth it. She raised her cup. Are you going to have some? Alex ached for her lost magic. She couldn't help remembering the crosswalk. The screeching tires, the apple-red metal, washed clean by rain the driver's frightened eyes. Alex stepped back. She couldn't watch Jenny die again. She shouldn't have come back to the house. She should have gone somewhere else. Back to the library to find the crooked man. To the train station to buy a ticket for some place far away. Anywhere but here. Um, I've got him some errands, Alex said. I need to get some stuff, you know, from the drugstore. Now? Jenny asked. It'll only take ten minutes. It's raining. Ten minutes, Alex repeated plaintively. Jenny glanced down at Alex's mug. Drink your tea first? Steam rose from the mug into the cold air. It smelled like peppermint, humid and sweet. Alex hesitated. The spell required that the twelfth soul be paid by nightfall. It wouldn't fall apart until then. There were still a few hours left. Alex could give Jenny some of that time and still be gone before her sister died. She picked up her mug. It was warm in her hands. She blew and her breath rippled across the placid, dark surface. After she found the book in the library, Alex set to work. That night... When the fireflies emerged, she cast a seeking charm that caused a trail of them to glow red instead of gold. She followed the path of blood-colored lights to the door of the driver who'd killed her sister. He was middle-aged, clothes well-chosen but rumbled. His eyes red, though it was only evening. He opened the door with a suave smile, expecting someone else. He frowned for a moment when he saw Alex, but recovered with slick charm. "'Can I help you?' when Alex stabbed the man in the throat. His eyes brightened with surprise. He seemed unable to imagine why anyone would have any reason to hate his smooth, handsome self. Alex stumbled down his front step. She hadn't brought anything to clean herself up with. She hadn't even brought gloves to hide her fingerprints. Her hands were slick with his blood, matching the fireflies above her. Alex had always been timid. She'd lost so much so young. She knew that life was full of precious, fragile things that you had to hold carefully, because they could break at any moment. Now there was nothing left to break. The smell of the man's blood was bright like a penny. It was the smell of vigor and freedom. It was a smell of possibility. She followed the firefly trail down dark, deserted streets. From time to time, headlights swung towards her. And she should have cowered, fearing discovery. Instead, she walked boldly on. And each time the cars pulled away, never coming too near. Then as Alex passed under a street lamp spotlight, she heard someone gasp, Goddess, are you all right? Is that blood? A blonde woman stood in her apartment's front step. She looked older than Alex, probably college-aged, 
but somehow she didn't look like the type who'd gone to college. She didn't have that slickness. She wore a peasant-style blouse tucked into an ankle-length skirt, wide blue eyes staring with alarm. Alex could have turned and ran, but she was someone new now. She was predator, not prey. She held up her bloody hands. It isn't mine. Instead of screaming, the woman approached. I can smell the magic in the air. She glanced up at the blinking red trail of lights. The magic came to me when I was about your age. Startled, Alex staggered back. The woman continued undaunted. I remember what it was like starting out. No one to guide you, no idea what's happening. I'd fight some demon in the dreamlands and stumble back all covered in a sicker. I wish I wasn't on my own. She reached up with an open palm. My name is Lyric. Come inside, you need to clean yourself up. Alex wasn't sure at first why she followed Lyric. She only knew that once the offer was made, she was desperately curious to find out how Lyric lived. Her apartment was cheerfully cluttered, with sheet music and various instruments. Enchanted items gleamed here and there. Crystal globes and charmed angels' feathers and vials of golden powder. They were artifacts of magic that looked nothing like what Alex had encountered in the library. A different kind of magic altogether. Slowly, as Alex washed her hands and listened to Lyric burble, she realized what it all meant. If there was a dark magic, then there must be a light magic, too. A magic for people with hope. What do you do on your last day with your sister? Skydive? Ride in a hot air balloon? Drink and dance? Weep and gnash? What do you do on your last day with your sister when she doesn't know she's already dead? Alex stood in the kitchen and watched Jenny mix spices and roll out dough. She listened to her plan for winter. She watched the shadows that the rain made on the shutters and wondered what would happen when the sky stopped falling. Lyric was an Iowa transplant. She left home at eighteen, moved to the city, and taken a new name. She was a singer-songwriter who earned extra income playing in a piano bar, hence Lyric. She knew all about magic, her kind of magic at least. There is a secret world overlain in this one, she said. It's like we're on one side of the mirror, the other side is right in front of you. You just have to press your nose against the glass and look. Lyric introduced Alex to her community of magical friends. There was Sibella, a strange woman who always wore a plain black mask that lacked eye holes. She could use anything to scry the future, even piles of trash. Alex's favorite was Dirk, a four-foot-tall man who wore a long trench coat to conceal the dusting of golden fur that revealed his cat magic heritage. Fingerless gloves left his claws sharp and bare. Alex knew it was stupid to spend her time with a community of good witches. She kept her secrets to herself. But she was still risking discovery. But when she met them, Alex hadn't had anyone else in her life. Her house echoed with the lack of her sister. Even once the accumulated souls restored Jenny's body. At first she was only a shell, void of personality and volition. It was good to have sun-dappled afternoons in Lyric's apartment, listening to Sibella's grim forecasts and Dirk's exaggerated exploits. "'There will always be a place for you here,' Lyric told her more than once. "'A place to rest when the world and magic and everything are too much.' Alex knew that snub-nosed, open-hearted Lyric was making promises she couldn't keep. Despite everything, it was comforting to hear." "'I've been thinking,' Jenny said, as they sat down to dinner. The scent of rosemary rose from roast chicken, mingling with the aromas of cinnamon, baked apples, and diced red potatoes. "'I'm not sure it's good for us to stay here in this house,' Jenny said. "'It made sense when you were younger, but now that you're out of school, we're going to have two incomes. We can move somewhere that isn't full of old memories about Mum and Dad.' 
somewhere that doesn't make us sad. This place won't get much on the market, but it'd be enough to get us a new start somewhere else. I could get a better job. You could take night classes. Alex looked down at her plate. I couldn't get into college. Junior college. You can get your AA, then transfer. I don't really want to go back to school, Alex said. That's more your thing. Alex felt old guilt stir in her stomach. Jenny had been about to leave for college when their parents died, and she'd had to drop out to take care of her sister. Alex knew it wasn't her fault, but from time to time guilt whispered in her ear that in a way it was. I'm sorry, Alex said. Jenny shrugged. It was a long time ago. She reached across the table to take Alex's hand. I wouldn't trade in my years with you. You know that, right? The me who left home, who went off to college, I'm not that person anymore. I like who I am. You could go back to school, Alex said. I'll work to pay for your classes. You can be her again, the you you were supposed to be. Alex knew it was stupid to say. Jenny was going to die. She was already dead. But Alex felt better for the fraction of a moment when she could believe it was true. Jenny chuckled softly. I'm too old to go back to school. Of course you're not. Oh, God! Writing papers, raising my hand, I don't think I could survive. Jenny was trying to laugh it off, but Alex could hear the desire in her voice. You'd be great, Alex said. Jenny pulled her hand away from Alex's. She stood to clear the table. We'll talk about it, she paused thoughtfully as she piled dishes by the sink. Yeah, I think it'll be good for us to move away from here. The sink bubbled with dish soap as Jenny plunged her hands into the water. Dishes clanked. Dinner smells faded as leftovers cooled, waiting to be cling-wrapped and tucked into the fridge. Alex's resolve hardened. Jenny had already given up her life once. Alex wouldn't let her do it again. She'd find another way. Alex's second kill was a neighbor who kept convincing the police to ignore the domestic abuse calls, even though they could see her husband slumping behind her in the doorway, cowed and bruised. Third, a policeman who'd raped a number of prostitutes after threatening to arrest them. Fourth and fifth, a sister and brother who ran a pyramid scheme that stole millions from the elderly. Alex killed the sister first. During the long seven days before the spell called for the brother's soul, he lived in fear of the vengeful hand that had slain his sister. He wept when Alex found him. He promised her money. When that didn't work, he vowed contrition. Still, she cut away his soul. The sixth death, the seventh, the eighth, all fell easily beneath her blade. Those were the easy weeks, the weeks when she felt no guilt, when the smell of blood wasn't only the smell of magic and triumph, but also self-righteousness. She was a vengeful sorceress, cleansing the world of those who needed to die. Her first victims had come so easily that when the time approached for her to take the next— she never doubted that an appropriate lamb would present itself for the sacrifice. None came. She spent her nights prowling. The alleys were full of shadows and strangers, none dark enough to invite her knife. In the final hour she steeled her resolve. If she couldn't find someone who deserved to die, then she'd kill whoever she found. The victim walked straight up to her. A drunk boy— a little older than Alex, scrawny and bright-eyed. He leaned heavily on Alex as he asked her to walk him home. A college student. Philosophy. Afterward, when she unpacked his bag, she found poems, written in the margins of his textbooks. Silly limericks for his sister, and purple sonnets for his boyfriend. The expression on his face as he died had been one of confusion. He wasn't shocked wasn't alarmed, he was simply puzzled. 
His eyes seemed to ask, Are you really doing this? Why? His name was Aaron. When she got home, Alex locked herself in her room. Crying and shaking, she read his poems over and over again, trying to make some sense out of what she'd done. The pages wrinkled and his handwriting began to fade. But she found no answers. He was dead, and she had killed him. There was no justification to be found. Those were the only things that mattered. Still, when the time came for her next kill, she ventured into the night. After Alex excused herself from the table, she returned to the front hall to recover her messenger bag. She pulled open the flap and dug inside for her bespelled dagger. Her victim's blood had disappeared into the strange translucent blade. She held the knife up to the light and watched soul colors shift beneath the surface as they sometimes did beneath her sister's skin. When she'd possessed her magic, Alex had sensed the blade as a kind of cold, dark magnetism, pulling the heat and life from the room. With her magic gone, the blade was only ordinarily eerie. Watching it with only her mortal senses felt odd, as if she was trying to make out something without opening her eyes. Alex palmed the hilt. She crossed the house to her room. Noises came from the kitchen, her sister washing dishes and humming off-key along with the radio. Outside, air crept beneath her window, filling her room with the scent of wet soil. Alex sat in her bed. She looked at the dagger in her hands. She no longer had the magic to lure an unwilling soul but perhaps the spell would accept a sacrifice. And if it didn't, so what? The magic had found Alex because she had no hope. The sacrifice would work or it wouldn't. It was all she had left to give. Victim Eleven was an old woman living alone on the first floor of a run-down brownstone. She was a piano teacher, her rooms filled with dusty magic books and battered pianos. The magic whispered that her tissues were breaking down, that she only had a few years left. What was that against Jenny's whole life? When she was finished, Alex surveyed the remnants of the life she'd taken. Framed photographs of former students lined the walls. One caught Alex's attention. A smiling blonde girl with an upturned nose. Lyric. It was one of those moments that only make sense in the context of magic, when the push and pull of dark forces against light creates what would otherwise be a staggering improbability. Lyric, coming on a whim to visit her old mentor, tread lightly on the stair, her hand twisting the doorknob, her face appearing in the crack of the opening of the door, Alex darted aside. Hiding in the shadow cast by a heavy velvet curtain, Lyric ran towards the corpse. Mrs. Mueller? Oh, no! Mrs. Mueller! She knelt in the pulling blood. What happened to you? Alex crept toward the door, trying to escape while Lyric examined the body. But the noise of her shoes and the hard wood summoned Lyric's attention. Piercing blue eyes went straight to her face. Stop! Who are you? What did you do to Mrs. Mueller? Lyric rose. All furious outrage and then recognition dawned. Alex? There was no more point in hiding. Alex stepped forward, holding her dagger between them. The spell was very specific about when she had to make her kills. It would ruin everything if she took another soul now. But Lyric did not know that. I don't want to hurt you, Alex said. It was true. Lyric's expression had turned from surprise to horror. The blood on your hands when we met? It was human? Alex tried to laugh. It was so ridiculous. Only Lyric could have been so convinced it was blood from a magical beast that she hadn't considered otherwise. But Alex had no mirth in her. The sound came out a dry husk.
Magic can be volatile, Lyric ventured. Sometimes it creeps inside you, overwhelms you, makes you do things you wouldn't. Alex backed towards the open door, waving the dagger in front of her. I'm going now. Don't follow me. Lyric started toward her anyway. Alex tried to harden her gaze, to make it flat and murderous, so that Lyric would be forced to see her as she was. I'll kill you if I have to, Alex said. She could see what a struggle it was for Lyric to believe the worst of anyone, even with the evidence right in front of her. But fear won a moment's hesitation. Alex ran. Alex looked down at the dagger in her hands. She thought of all the bodies she'd bled. Would the spell accept her sacrifice without magic to guide it into the blade? Perhaps. Dark magic was like shadows in the library. Mocking. Mercurial. Cruel. It would like the chance to drink her life. She pressed the blade against her throat, but hesitated before it bit too deeply. A drop of blood ran down her neck. Its scent mixed with rain, just as her sisters had that day in the crosswalk. The last sensations of her life, blood and rain, her sisters humming drifting from the kitchen, the empty ache of her missing magic. The blade trembled as her hand shook. For her twelfth victim, Alex found a drug runner. The year before, he'd been peripherally involved in a drive-by shooting, riding as a passenger behind the guy who'd shot the gun. He didn't deserve the death penalty, but better him than another college student or music teacher. She'd sent him a message proposing an exchange. They settled on a location, a deserted alley positioned between two massive brick walls that stared windowlessly down at the dumpsters and cracked asphalt. The dealer leaned against brick. He was a skinny white kid with a cocky sneer. He kept glancing furtively in both directions, but concentrated on the north where the alley led to the back of a bar. Alex approached from the south. The fog charm she'd cast silenced her footsteps. She kept her hand inside the messenger bag, fingers closed around the dagger's hilt. Suddenly, the kid looked her way. She couldn't stop the sharp intake of breath that seemed to echo from wall to wall. How had he known she was there? No, his gaze wasn't settling on her. It swung further up to the top of a neighboring building. A golden figure leapt down from the rooftop. The tails of a trench coat streamed behind him. It was Dirk, twisting in the air so that he landed gracefully on his feet, directly between Alex and her prey. What the hell? the kid spluttered. He looked in Dirk's tawny fur, the glint of light on his naked claws. What the fuck are you? Dirk ignored him. We know you're here, Alex. Give it up. Alex tried to think clearly despite her pounding heart. She was still wearing her fog charm. Maybe she could escape without Dirk hearing her. Before she could try, Lyric came blazing into the north end of the alley. The masked prophetess, Sibella, followed a step behind. Her fingers rose, pointing straight at Alex's heart. The girl is there, Sibella intoned. She's come to this place to kill, just as I saw in the patterns. Dirk turned, tail-whipping, and hissed at Alex. Alex stepped back. Leave me alone. Lyric shook her head. I'm sorry, Alex. Her blue eyes were infuriatingly more sad than angry. Sorry? Alex repeated. I'm a serial killer. I killed your music teacher. Be furious, be frightened, be righteous, don't be sorry. She pulled the knife from her bag. It rippled with the rainbow light of the souls she'd taken. Dirk hissed. Sibella held up her hand as if trying to shield herself from its aura. One more life, Alex said. My sister raised me. I owe her everything. One more life will bring her back. 
Slowly, Lyric shook her head. No more lives, Alex snarled. If you kill me, then you're just as bad as I am. You're murdering my sister. She twisted the knife in the air. You know I won't let you do that. Lyric turned back towards Sibella. The prophetess nodded. We have to, Sibella said. Lyric sighed, gathering herself. She strode toward Alex, blonde hair burning behind her like a golden flame, eyes cold and blue like the winter sky. Sibella flanked her. As they passed, Dirk fell into formation, teeth bared and eyes slitted. The shred of light beneath the window sill was deepening navy. There was no more time to waste. Alex drew the blade across her throat. Nothing happened. There was no fireworks burst of pain, no red slashing her vision. She did not grow faint from blood loss. She didn't die. She moved the dagger so that its point thrust under her chin. The sharp metal stung as she swallowed. She gritted her teeth and stabbed. Nothing. She threw the dagger down. It fell onto the rug, spinning like a bottle, until its tip pointed toward the window. Alex touched her throat. No blood. No slash. Only skin. Her fingernail scratched the dried blood from the scratch she'd made earlier. The dagger had been sharp then, when she tried to slash but hesitated. It was as if it had only become harmless after she'd made her decision to die. That was probably exactly what had happened. She looked down at the dagger. Rainbow colors rippled across it, disconcertingly bright against the drab backdrop of her room. She'd had hope for a while, hope that her sister would live. She should have known better. Dark magic was for the hopeless. Dirk and Sibella pinned Alex to the ground. She watched the alley behind them. The way the gray of the cracked asphalt blended into the dirty bricks. The whole place was broken down and dirty and abandoned. It belonged in the dumpsters with the trash. Even the drug dealer had run off. Lyric bent over her, and then Alex could see nothing but lashes fluttering open over an eternity of guileless blue. Lyric, pl Lyric plunged her hand into Alex's stomach. Her fingers penetrated flesh and organs. Alex clenched in pain. She tried to draw away, but she was pinned too tightly to move. Lyric's fingers stretched and searched until finally they closed around something. Alex could feel what they held, but she could not give it a name. It was something ineffable, but essential. Something she'd never be complete without. Lyric's hand withdrew. Her fingers opened. The thing in her palm was black and wriggling. It writhed and spat as it tried to escape. Lyric pursed her lips and blew. Like an extinguished candle flame, it disappeared. At Lyric's nod, Dirk and Sibella released Alex. Lyric looked down, mouth half open, as if there was something she wanted to say. In the end, she stayed silent. The three light mages departed, leaving Alex mutilated and alone. After a while, when it began to rain, Alex retrieved her messenger bag and began the silent walk home. Alex made it into the kitchen, just in time to see the dish that Jenny was holding tumble through her hand and hit the floor. Jenny cursed and bent to retrieve it, but her hand passed through the shards. Damn it! Jenny grumbled, her confusion audible beneath the frustration. Alex stopped a few steps away. She'd automatically extended her hand, ready to wave Jenny away and go for the broom, but it was pointless to pretend that this was like any other mess. She couldn't clean this up. Broken things were broken forever. Jenny frowned as her fingers failed to close on a triangle wedge. She tried again. On the third pass, as her fingers became transparent, she made a choking noise and jumped back, as if it was the glass that had caused her to become intangible. She looked up. 
searching for an explanation. Her eyes lit on Alex. They were no longer bright green, but some muted shadow shade. The pale, rippling rainbow colors of the stolen souls passed through Jenny's translucent form, shining like the iridescence on a soap bubble, and bled into the air. Alex's tongue felt numb in her mouth. I'm sorry, she said. I, I tried to save you, but I couldn't, and I I'm so sorry. She was hoping she'd see something in Jenny's eyes before she died. Some moment of understanding or forgiveness. Something other than the confusion and fear that clouded her expression in the last moments before her body lost all definition, becoming only a silvery translucence, like a vaguely woman-shaped drop of rain. All at once Jenny's essence lost coherence. The glistening outline shattered. She broke against the ground. It was too late. It had always been too late. Too late for them to move to another city. Too late for Jenny to start college. Too late for Alex to love someone who wouldn't leave her. She crumpled onto the floor, shoulders shuddering, wishing she could make herself so small that nothing could see her. So small that she couldn't even see herself. Her skin tingled with the strange feeling that comes with being watched. She wondered what she would see if she still had her magic. The crooked man leaning against the wall, the shadows leering and laughing. How much had they done? Had they lured her to the spell only because it amused them to watch her fail? Had they been involved before that? Had one of the shadows wrapped itself around the driver's foot on the gas pedal, goading him to go faster and faster? Lyric had said there was a magical world overlaying this one like a mirror. All one had to do was press one's nose against the glass. But what if what looked back wasn't elves and angels and dream mages, but something dark and howling? Alex wept. There was nothing else left. Such are the results of dabbling in... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Dark magic, no matter how pure one's intentions might be. Rachel says of this story... I wanted to play with some of the traditional urban fantasy stuff like Charles de Lint and Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners and we want to know your thoughts on our content. 
I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the marvellous team behind Farfetched Fables itself. You all get to hear me witter on about our fantastic content every week, but I'd like to say a huge thank you to two very special people who actually make it possible for you to do so. Gary Dowell, the Triple F's inimitable editor, man of unending patience and can-do attitude, and Mark Sanfandino, audio engineer extraordinaire, who stitches each episode together so painstakingly and smooths out any little oopsies that I leave behind. You two absolutely rock. That's all I wanted to say, my lovelies. Have a fabulous week. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but you can't change it and you can't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will have the magic torn from their flesh. I'll see you all next week. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.